Happy Easter, everyone. Thanks for joining us online. My name's Mark, sheltering here at home. So glad that you joined us. I was talking to a friend this past week and I was reminded, I haven't been grounded this long since seventh grade when, get this, I was grounded for three months. I was in constant trouble in junior high. Notes were coming home, my parents had to sign them. I was in so much trouble, I didn't know if I was gonna live to see high school. So I was thinking, I've gotta learn how to forge my mom's signature. Not an easy task. She came from Switzerland, they got this weird cursive, so I'm in my basement room and I'm just writing page after page trying to get Miriam Myfair to look just like her signature. In the end, I chickened out. My parents were so strict, I was afraid. My hunch was right because my mom cleaning my room found the stack of paper with her signature on it and I got grounded for just even thinking about it. Can you believe that? Within a week, I broke my grounding. I wasn't so good at staying in place back in seventh grade. I'm doing a lot better right now. I got grounded, ends up from September all the way through December. Oh my word, here we are, sheltering in place. And as the statistics go up, I mean, it's, it's over 100,000, chasing towards 2 million. And, and the statistics are staggering. It wasn't that long ago. The first case in this world, they say January 11th. Within a couple of months, pandemic worldwide, our first case here in the States, February 29th. Guys, that's only six months ago. You know, we can laugh when we see, you know, the bakers are making cakes in the shape of toilet paper. That is pretty funny. But as the statistics go up, the stories get closer, and it's not so funny anymore. I mean, it is surreal what's going on. Can you imagine that right now we're thinking twice about going to the grocery store? I'm walking down the path this past week when it was 70 degrees out, and there's a woman with a scarf on who tucks it up over her face so that I don't get hers or she doesn't get my germs. Dr. Fossey said maybe now, due to coronavirus, we should never shake hands again. I mean, this is unbelievable. I am just so tracking with the uh, food stores in our house. I can tell you right now, this is so weird. I've never been able to do this. We've got two and a half sticks of butter in our house. I've got about three pounds of hamburger, a couple packs of Italian sausage, a couple of steaks, a corned beef, two dozen eggs. I, I mean, what is going on here? Everything has changed due to coronavirus. And you know what else, else has changed? This whole thing called hope. By the way, have you taken inventory of your hope quotient right now? Because I think one of the things that's happened with coronavirus is we've realized that our hopes have often been misplaced. You know, at the beginning we went, hey man, I'm young. I'm good. Coronavirus doesn't affect young people, just old people. Hey, I'm healthy, I work out, I take care of my body, I'm good. Then all of a sudden, we figure out, you know what? This, this thing is an equal opportunity, destructive virus. And we started this thing going, I I'm good, I got a great job. I I've got savings, I I've got a retirement account. And now the economy is blown up and, and we're realizing that we don't have the supply of hope that we once thought just a few weeks ago. We're starting a new series, we're calling it Now What? 
how God meets us in uncertain times. We're gonna look at all kinds of great stories of these women and men in the Bible who came to one of those now what moments, like today, when we go back to the very first Easter story and find out that there's a whole group of followers of Jesus who've lost hope. You know, when, when you've lost hope, now what? When hope runs out, now what? So what we're gonna do is we, we're gonna go to the first story in, in the book of Luke. And here's what I hope happens, that you discover that when your trust is in Jesus Christ, you have an endless supply of hope. Get this, that'll be with you when you catch that fever and you got tightness in your chest and a loved one or you drive yourself to the hospital, you're all by yourself, you go from registration to the emergency room to ICU, and they hook you up to a ventilator, and you still have this lasting supply of hope because your trust is in Jesus Christ. And when we go back to the first Easter story as Luke records it in his gospel, Luke chapter 24, so grab a Bible, we're gonna find out that the very followers of Jesus have come to this place where their hope has run out. But we're gonna find that trusting in Jesus, who died and rose again, gives us an endless supply of hope and confidence. So grab your Bibles, Luke chapter 24. When we get to Luke's gospel, we find out that he's writing it to his friend Theophilus, this guy whose name means lover of God, this guy who's been taught about Jesus. And he says, I I've carefully investigated all the claims, the first eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection and his life and his ministry and his death on the cross. And I put it in orderly accounts so that you can be sure and certain of the things that you've been taught. So when we get to Luke chapter 24, he gives us three amazing stories. It starts off with this story in the garden. And, and he presents this first piece of evidence for the resurrection. It's the empty tomb. Mary, Mary Magdalene, Joanna go to finish the burial process, bringing the spices. They're wondering who's gonna roll back the stone and they get there and the stone's not in place. It's been rolled back. They duck in, there's no body. There's just some strips of linen that used to be wrapped around his lifeless corpse. And in that shocking moment, they meet the two angels who say, women, what are you doing? Why are you looking for the living in the place of the dead? He's not here, just as he said. Remember what he said? He's risen. Go tell his disciples. So they book it back to the disciples who hear the story. And all they can say is, women, you have lost your mind. This is a bunch of hogwash. This is nonsense. Peter, though, and John were curious, and Luke tells us that Peter ran back. He looked into the tomb, and all he saw were the strips of linen, but he did not see Jesus. The second story is the one we're going to look at more closely. It had to do with two guys who were on a road trip. One of them's name is Cleopas, and he's got a companion. We don't know if it's his friend, if it's his wife, but they're, they're traveling out of Jerusalem. And, and as the film rolls, you can just see the heaviness of their hearts, you can see the slowness of their gait, but they were animated because they're trying to catch up with what just happened. Jesus, this one they'd pinned their hopes on, the promised Messiah, they thought, 
crucified on a cross. How can this be? Now the report Sunday morning of the women that, that he's gone. And the angel said he, he's risen and they're, they're just trying to make sense of it. And so they're going back and forth and all of a sudden Luke tells us as they're traveling on this seven mile journey to Emmaus, Jesus all of a sudden shows up on this road trip. And he says to the guys, man, what are you, what are you talking about? And they look at him and go, dude, what do, you, what, do you, what do you mean, what are we talking about? Have you been living under a rock? Have you been living in a cave? Everybody in Jerusalem knows what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus. He says, what things? So, so look at verse 19. We're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hope. There it is. Hope had run out that first Easter morning. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem, save Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in this morning but didn't find the body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. And Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. All the writers of the Old Testament did not Messiah. Now, Messiah, Messiah is a word for anointed one. The promised savior was to be this anointed king. They got that. But they didn't understand how an anointed king could end up on a cross. And Jesus said, how slow to believe all the prophets had spoken. They said this, didn't, didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? Wasn't it going to be his sufferings in the cross before his exaltation? And beginning with Moses, the very first writer of the Bible, so the first five books written by Moses, the Pentateuch, the law, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, all the other writers, so we got the Old Testament 39 books, we got the New Testament, all of it pointing to Christ, but their Bible was just the Old Testament. And he said, all the writers of the Old Testament were pointing and explaining this. And so he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, and, and their minds are just like exploding like, this is the Bible study of Bible study. This is the one when we get to heaven, we go, Jesus, give it to us. We want to hear that story. How did you share it exactly when you went from Genesis all the way to Malachi, showing how all the scriptures and all the plot line and all the books all were pointing to you, your life, your death, and your resurrection? So they're on this road trip and they're coming to the exit. It's time to get off to Emmaus and Jesus appears to be going further down the road and they didn't want this conversation to end. So Cleopas and his friends say, Jesus, well, they didn't know it was Jesus, right? Because the text tells us that God prevented them from actually recognizing him so that they could understand the truth of not just his resurrected body, but how that aligned with God's plan throughout the ages revealed in scripture. And so say, they say to Jesus, not knowing it's Jesus, oh man, you, you got to come and stay with us. It's late in the day anyways, and we need to get some chow. And so let's head off to this rest stop. Maybe it was their house, maybe it was an inn, we don't know. But there they were at the table. 
and he's breaking the bread. And we read in the text, verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, when they recognized him, was it because when he broke the bread, they could see the nail prints in his hands? Was it because they remembered Jesus breaking the bread, taking that little boy's lunch and feeding the 5,000? Was it because they had just heard from the disciples that on the night before he died, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. But it was at that precise moment that Jesus opened their eyes to see him and go, oh, it's Jesus. And the minute they said, it's Jesus, where's Jesus? He was gone. And the disciples, they didn't sleep on that news. They didn't sit on that news. Man, they made a beeline back to Jerusalem. And if we could rewind the film and see the difference of their dogged approach to Emmaus. And when they stopped and looked down, when Jesus said, what, what are you guys talking about? So gripped with sorrow, so confused in their minds, so drained of all hope that now, Man, their hearts are beating. They're burning with this newfound understanding and love for Christ who conquered the grave. Oh, oh, what a day. And as they're heading back to Jerusalem, they're, they're just so excited to tell the others. Man, I'm, I'm getting excited. I, I need to stop and take a drink. They are so excited. How are they going to tell them? They're thinking about it. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to break into the room and say, guess what? So they break into the room. Luke tells us. Now they're, they're breaking into the room of, of a group that's not on a road trip. They're not at a rest stop. They're not in the garden. Get this. The very first Easter, there's a group of Jesus' followers, the 11 disciples, because remember, Judas is no longer a part, and then some other fo followers. <clears throat> and they're actually sheltering in place in the upper room, gripped with fear, because they're wondering if they're next. Are the, are the religious leaders going to now arrest them, try them, and have them nailed to a Roman cross? And so as, as they go in to say, guess what? All of a sudden, the 11 said, it's true. Hold on. Don't tell us, Cleopas. Let me, let me tell you. Well, we could tell you. It wasn't nonsense what the women were sharing. And the women are all, you can see them, they're all going, we told you so. Why didn't you believe us? And women, you're still shaking your heads, going, why don't you listen to us? And so this is, this is old news. So they said, it's true. It's not nonsense. It's not craziness. Peter saw Jesus. And Cleopas and his friends said, we know. We've seen him too. And so right then as they're talking about it and they're jumping around with, with ecstasy and bewilderment, all of a sudden Luke says, Jesus shows up in the room. Like he makes it clear, like he didn't walk through the door. Because in his resurrected state, he could disappear from the dinner table and appear in the upper room to those sheltered in place, just like that. And that's what happened. And he greeted them, peace, shalom, peace be with you. And, and so they, they were frightened. And they couldn't believe their eyes. And they thought they were seeing a ghost. And Jesus said, hey, guys, come, come and touch me. My, my hands and my feet, my side, it's really me. And so they did. And then he said, guys, I'm hungry. It's been a big day today, rising from the dead, being all over the place, revealing myself to people. I'm hungry. Do you got anything to eat? And get this, that first Easter, Jesus had 
Fish fry. That's right, some broiled fish. And then he said to them, why didn't you believe me? Remember what I told you? And Luke told us what Jesus told his disciples in chapter 9, verse 22. In chapter 9, verse 43 through 45. In chapter 18, verses 31 through 35, Jesus said, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem. That's where we're headed. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be roughed up. They're going to kill me. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again from the dead. And then after that, he did what he did with Cleopas and his friends. He ends the conversation that night where he started it. So we have the bookends of Jesus now going after the Old Testament scriptures. And, and this is what he says in verse 44. <clears throat> this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, Jesus' name, to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things, Jesus said. And I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And, and so what, what, what Luke is making crystal clear is when our trust is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have an endless supply, an endless supply of hope that'll take us all the way through this life and whatever this life throws on into the next. And why can he say that? And why can we be sure of that? Because, first of all, the death and resurrection of Christ, as it's recorded in the scripture, is recorded not as fantasy, not as some fiction, not as some hopeful wish of his delusional disciples, but as fact, as historical fact, a historical fact that changed everything and changes everyone. And so that's what he does. He's, he's, he's writing history here. He's saying, Cleopas, here's why you can be sure. Because you can actually talk to Mary, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Peter, the other 10 disciples. You can talk to Cleopas. And you can talk to the other eyewitnesses that Paul references in 1 Corinthians 15. 500 people that saw him. This thing is footnoted in the real eyewitness testimony of people that saw the empty tomb, who saw and held his resurrected body. They touched him. They saw him eat. They heard him teach. They saw him descend into heaven. It's history. And that history is a life and a game changer. Now, some of you that are checking out Christianity need to catch up with this fact. The first skeptics... The first doubters of Christ and his resurrection are his followers. Remember, the women's report was called nonsense. When they heard about the empty tomb, they didn't go, oh, of course, that's just what you, no, they didn't get it, it didn't make sense. When they actually met Jesus face to face, they thought it was a ghost. The first skeptics, the first doubters of Jesus' resurrection were his followers. 
and those fearful disciples sheltering in place in a few days after meeting the resurrected Christ are out in broad daylight in Jerusalem proclaiming that Jesus is the promised Messiah who lived and died and rose again. And they did it for the th at the threat of their own health and life and existence. They were willing to die for that, and many of them did. And these Jewish men worshiped God. And that Paul guy who was so offended by Christianity, like some of you are, you're offended with what the Bible says about sex. You're offended with what the Bible says about marriage. You're offended about what the Bible says about marriage or uh, uh, about money or whatever it is. There wasn't anybody more offended with Christ and his followers than Paul. But when he met the resurrected Christ, Everything changed, and that Jewish man and all the other Jewish men who would never consider worshiping any man worshiped Jesus Christ because he wasn't any other man. He was the Son of God who conquered death, rose from the dead, and Luke says that's fact, and that fact is a game changer. But it's an interesting thing, isn't it? It's a super interesting thing. This whole thing has been, you know, I've been scratching my head this week going, so why did Jesus prevent them from seeing him? Why did Jesus say to them, oh, you foolish men, slow to believe everything that I told you? Why didn't he say everything I told you? Why did he say, why are you so slow to believe the scriptures? Because this is really important. Jesus didn't just give himself as the evidence of the resurrection. He showed that all of scripture, that this was God's plan. And when we trust in Christ's death and resurrection, we can have this endless supply of hope because Jesus' death and resurrection was according to plan. It was God's plan from the very beginning. And he goes through all the scriptures. And when the disciples say, wasn't our hearts burning within us? Cleopas and his friend, they weren't saying, yeah, when Jesus took the bread and broke it, man, it was so awesome. No, they were saying, when Jesus went through all the scriptures to show that all the scriptures and all the plot lines all are leading to Christ, our hearts burn within us. And so we need to understand that, that God's word is true, that God's word can be trusted, that Jesus unlocks the Bible and the Bible keeps unlocking Jesus, all of it pointing to him. Huge implications. So when our heart is trusting in Christ, his death and resurrection. The return is this endless supply. His history, God's plan recorded and revealed in scripture. And then thirdly here, his death and resurrection brings this unbelievable offer of forgiveness and hope, the hope of eternal life to all people, not just to some people. And so the storyline of the Bible tells us this that there's a far greater, deadlier virus that has a 100% fatality mortality rate. You know, don't, don't, don't just, you, you, can, you can kind of blow off coronavirus and play with the odds, but you can't do that with sin. All have sinned. The penalty of sin is death. Spiritual separation right now from God that leads to eternal separation from him. It's all going that way. The Bible says the wages, the results of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And this offer given by the creator God who made us and loves us 
is one that demands a response. He's either king and deserves our trust and worship and loyalty and obedience, or he's a kook. And you don't have to worry about the secondary things of Jesus' teaching if he isn't who he said he is, the Son of God, and didn't do what he said he did and was going to do, die on the cross for our sins and be raised again on the third day. And so for those of you who've lost your way and you're back this Easter because God's getting all of our attention this Easter with the coronavirus, Jesus is saying, come on home. He's not going to chide you. He's going to welcome you home. There isn't any place you've been. There isn't anything you've done that Jesus didn't pay for on the cross. You come home to his loving embrace. To those of you who've been trusting Jesus all along, what are we been doing? We've been sitting on it and sleeping on it. And this is the life-changing truth that we know This isn't any kind of an arrogant position that we have. This is the good news of one beggar sharing with another beggar where to find food, that Jesus is the hope of the world, that he is the answer. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. And we can't sit on this message. We, like Jesus, need to be powerful in word and deed. We, like Jesus, need to be filled with his spirit and with his spirit full of grace and truth. And then for those of us who've not yet placed our trust in Jesus. We need to understand that there is no other source of endless hope that'll take us from today to an icy unit, to a ventilator and beyond because this offer offers forgiveness so that Jesus' death on the cross dealt with everything in our past all the things that we don't want to think about, all the things that we're ashamed of, all the things that we did and the things that we should have done, all the things that we try and drown out and, and, and all the things that we try to just do good things to, to cancel it out, but it's still there. He canceled in the cross and through faith, we can be delivered from that. Forgiveness of sin, the power of his spirit to live a new life, to have a new heart, and then the hope of a better day. <laughs> a hope that is sure Jesus is saying there, there is a future. Yeah, there, there were these philosophers in the end, many today that go, when it's over, it's over. You don't feel anything, don't worry about anything. Just live life, enjoy life, and it's done. And then there's these other people, we call them New Agers maybe today, these philosophies that say, well, actually, it's a circle of life, and you know, we die, and our spirit kind of gets amalgamated into this universe. Jesus said, no, 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 no. We were meant to live for eternity. And depending on what we do with King Jesus today, we'll either live with him forever or we will live separated with him forever in a place called hell. And so he offers us forgiveness. He offers us the power of a new life to love God and others and experience life in its fullness with all the meaning and purpose because our lives matter to God and our lives can make a difference in this world. And so what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? He loves you. He died for you. And he's calling you back into a relationship that you were made for, that you will thrive under. It's not promising us an easy, cheesy life. He's promising us his presence. He's giving us the end of the story so we can endure in faith when it's hard right now, whatever hard is. And so I'm going to ask you guys, would you come back to Christ? Those who know know him with greater love for him. Those who've drifted with a newfound love. And those who've never done this with a new 
heart of faith that God's given you right now. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Let's pray. Father God, I remember that time in my life when you called me back to yourself, and I was a mess. And I was duped into thinking that I actually was living on both sides of the fence, and you made it clear I wasn't. But you invited me back, and there's a bunch of people listening to me right now. We, we've lost our way, and coronavirus has brought great clarity to our present reality. And, and we're coming back, Lord. Forgive us. We're coming back to your open embrace. We're coming back, Lord, to a renewed relationship. Lord, there's others of us who we've been trusting you, we've been believing in you, and, and we've, we've lost the fire. Our hearts don't burn anymore. And we pray that you burn it again as we understand that you really did die and you really rose. And it was all according to your plan. And your plan is awesome. And your plan wants to write our lives into this story so that we can be part of the story in other people's lives as we point them to you. And then for those, Lord, who right now, their hearts are beating, their minds have been opened as they've heard again of your great love in your word. Grant them faith. And for those of you who are in that place and want to place your trust in Christ, in your heart of hearts right now, just repeat this prayer, Lord Jesus Christ. I acknowledge that I'm weaker, I'm more sinful than I ever believed. But through you, I also believe that I'm more loved and accepted than I ever dared imagine. Thanks for paying my debt and bearing my punishment on the cross and offering forgiveness. I'm placing my trust in you and I'm turning from all that I've trusted in before and I'm receiving you, King Jesus, as my Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, I, I want to know, we want to know, we want to help you grow. And the easiest way to do that is just go to the prayer button right there on your screen, your phone, wherever, and, and just say, I, I prayed the prayer and, and I want to know how to grow now in this new relationship. We'll follow up with you, okay? Some of you, though, you're not ready for that right now. And I wish you were, but I get that. And so you've got questions. So here's what we're going to do, all right? I want you to go to that same prayer thing, and I want you to write down some questions because on Tuesday night from 7 to 8, we're going to set up a Zoom meeting, and we're going to call it Exploring Jesus. And the teaching pastors, David, Ryan, and myself, we're, we're going to do this Zoom meeting with you, and we're just going to talk about the real questions you have about Jesus, about Christianity, and we'd love you to do that. You can connect to that meeting as you go to our online bulletin, doorcreek.info, and you go to the Next Steps tab, and, and there you can connect to our Zoom meeting. We can't wait to meet you guys there. Have a great Easter.